Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Both Sides of the Story, Westminster, a short story written and narrated by Robert Fairhead from the Tall and True Writer's website. Westminster, England, 1993. Madam Speaker, I... Baxter groaned and lifted the pen. He stuck the end in his mouth and sucked on it, searching for a better opening line. He crossed out the first words and started again. Madam Speaker, the... His pen froze again. Damn it, he cursed under his breath. Why won't the words flow? Baxter turned the pen on its side and stared fondly at the inscription. Oxford, 1965. So many years ago, so many memories, yet it seemed like only yesterday. Come along, Baxter, he chided himself aloud. Focus on the task at hand. He moved to cross out the opening line again, then tore the page from the pad, screwed it into a ball, and tossed it into the waste paper basket with his other failed attempts. Writer's block. Baxter shook his head. Who would have thought that he should suffer such a common affliction? He rose to his feet and began pacing the office. Perhaps movement would shake up the creative juices. Madam Speaker, there... Baxter paused by the window and gazed out at the glimpses of Big Ben and the towers of Westminster. It'll be spring soon, he reflected. The parks and gardens will bloom with daffodils, tulips and crocuses, and the gloomy spirit of the country will lift with the lengthening days and rising temperatures. The public's attention will turn to cricket, Wimbledon, and summer holidays. Oh, why couldn't this have waited until the summer? Reluctantly, Baxter moved away from the window and returned to his desk. There have been rumours, scurrilous rumours, echoing within the corridors of Westminster to the effect that I... Baxter lifted his pen again. His rising reputation in the house was for sharp, witty rebuttals and put-downs of the other side, and for off-the-cuff interviews, which navigated safe passage through the minefields laid by journalists. Baxter looked at the inscription on his pen once more and smiled. Even back in his debating days, he hadn't needed to prepare speeches. A gift with words, everyone had said. Baxter's bound to go far. He sighed and lowered the pen back onto the page. To the effect that I have been guilty of an... Oh, it was no good. Baxter tore the page from his pad and threw it in the waste paper basket. He needed the words in his head before putting them on paper. Baxter stood and paced the office again. This time he stopped in front of the portrait photograph of his wife and children. How would they cope with the public humiliation? His eyes lost their focus and he stared through his family at his reflection in the glass. Not bad for 50. His wife had reassured him the grey around his temples gave him a distinguished air that Baxter prayed his hairline would halt its rapid retreat. Churchill was bald, he reminded himself, and there were rumours of an affair. Baxter shook the thought from his head and resumed his pacing. He paused by the window again and thought of spring. Spring, spring, sprung, he intoned aloud. From below, Baxter heard cars, cabs and buses snaking their way along London's busy streets. The sound of little people, he thought, 
going about their bland lives, reading their tabloids, smirking over someone else's misfortune. Would they care to endure late night sittings in a near empty house, only to come home to a cold empty flat? A chorus of horns mocked Baxter. He turned from the window and faced the portrait of the Prime Minister behind his desk. He straightened his back and cleared his throat. <clears throat> that I have been guilty of nothing more than an... an indiscretion. Baxter felt immense relief at having spoken the shameful word. It cleared his mind, like unblocking a drain. He headed back to his desk, but froze when he passed his family portrait. Baxter's thoughts went blank again. He cursed himself. Damn! and turned for inspiration to the aerial photograph of the largest town in his constituency. How pleasant things look from a distance, he thought. The stark glass and aluminium business parks and shopping centres barely blemished the green and pleasant patchwork of the surrounding farmland. Even the motorway cutting through the shabbier end of town had a rustic charm. From 10,000 feet it could be mistaken for a river, albeit man-made, without bends and loops. Yes, how pleasant things look from a distance. As a boy, Baxter's parents had told him his destiny was to achieve high office. He had sensed it too. It wasn't vanity, though he admitted to being prone to that vice. But then, <laughs> who isn't, he joked with friends at Oxford. No, Baxter's destiny was a gut thing, instinctive. At boarding school, he was always top of his form, and at Oxford, he had earned distinctions. Ah, the debating society, the evenings of fierce intellectual arguments, far more stimulating than the stale speeches in the house. Though we were naive and idealistic back then, <laughs> Baxter reminded himself with a chuckle. Then after Oxford, a career in the city, a good marriage, a respectable fortune amassed, and now public service. Oh, how close he had come to fulfilling his boyhood promise. His parents would have been so proud. Baxter felt the blood boil in his veins. Damn it, he spat. I will not resign. He strode to his desk and took up his pen. An indiscretion of sniggering schoolboy interest to the less than honourable members opposite, but which has not affected my duty to the government, my party, nor my constituents. His blood went off the boil. How had the press found out? Was it a leak? A rival? It must have been someone at the conference. There were only party delegates at that fringe meeting. It had been a gut thing. Instinctive. The attraction had been immediate, mutual, and overpowering, and Baxter had succumbed to it at the conference and then afterwards, a few times. Neither of them had wanted to hurt their families. They just both worked late nights and went home to cold, empty flats. They had been foolish, lonely. Baxter stood and began another circuit of his office. There were so many late nights in the house. Oh, he had worked long, hard hours in the city, but somehow he had always managed to get home to tuck in the children even if they were sound asleep. And then he would tell his wife of the day's business, though often she would be in bed, reading. But they always made time to talk before going to sleep. Of course, that was before he entered politics, and they moved north to live in his new constituency. And the distance between his work and home became too great to commute. Outside the window, the sun was setting on the Thames. Big Ben chimed four o'clock. Soon it would be time to make his speech. Baxter stopped pacing, and stared across the office at his family. The faces of his wife and children were a blur, and he had to squint to bring them into sharper focus. The Prime Minister wears glasses, Baxter consoled himself aloud. Bugger. Hi, I'm Robert Fairhead from Tall and True Short Reads and the Tall and True Writer's website.
In February 1994, I started working on a short story for the Ian St. James Awards. It was my third submission to the then annual awards, at the time the UK's biggest fiction prize for unpublished writers, and my entry was inspired by Phil Collins' 1993 hit song, Both Sides of the Story. The news back then was full of items about people for whom the public, including me, had little sympathy. And watching the Both Sides music video on MTV, with its scenes of violence and backstory, I wondered if I could follow Collins' lead and show both sides of a news item, or story, in my writing. I wrote both sides of the story as four self-contained vignettes and a fifth piece to tie together and resolve the five short stories. Westminster, set in England in 1993, is the first of the vignettes. It deals with the familiar subject matter of infidelity in high places and the consequence of keeping secrets for careers and families. In the earlier introduction episode for both sides of the story, I quoted from my 1994 diary about how some of the scenes developed. They seemed to create their own twists and turns, guiding my fingers over the keyboard, and somehow the endings fell into place, generally when I needed them, as I neared my midnight time limit. And this is what happened when writing the last sentence for Westminster. The Prime Minister wears glasses, Baxter consoled himself aloud. Bugger. The British PM when I wrote both sides of the story was the bespectacled John Major. He was considered an unlikely first among equals when Margaret Thatcher resigned in 1990. And despite winning re-election in 1992, Major went on to lose the 1997 UK election in one of the largest defeats in history. In 2002, it was revealed he'd had a four-year affair with a fellow MP from 1984 to 1988 and a newspaper later claimed that had the affair not been kept secret, Major would not have become PM in 1990. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tall and True Short Reads. You can read all my short stories, blog posts and other writing at tallandtrue.com. The next episode and second vignette from both sides of the story, Bosnia, will be released shortly. In the meantime, please check your podcast feed for other short stories and follow or subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it via your favourite listening app. And finally, please tell your family and friends about Tall and True Short Reads and the Tall and True Writers website.